Hello, this is Miss Babin with our first Louisiana History podcast. This will be noted as episode three because it is the third podcast episode that I am recording. Today we're going to talk about Louisiana, an American state, and in particularly, we're going to talk about what happened in Louisiana after the Louisiana Purchase, but before Louisiana was officially a state in the United States, or rather, rather, really even a territory. Now, I had asked you to watch a video about the Louisiana Purchase. I hope you did, because it was just filled with a lot of great information, and it really said a lot of things in it that I would have said in class. So I thought it was excellent, and I hope that you have answered the review questions for that particular video. But today we're going to talk about what was going on in Louisiana. The video focused on just the Louisiana Purchase in a general sense. But now we got to talk about, in the meantime, when all of these things were going on, what was happening in Louisiana? Well, let's do a little recap and get a few more details. Remember that when Napoleon managed to get Louisiana away from Spain in the Treaty of San Ildefonso, he had had particular plans in terms of how he was going to use Louisiana. And it involved the island of Saint-Domingue because he wanted to use the sugar um, from the sugarcane crops of Saint-Domingue to actually fund his military efforts. And he wanted to use the ports of New Orleans to help him to do that. He also was wanting to get a foothold back in the North American continent to reestablish part of his empire in North America. But when the treaty was signed, if you recall, he agreed to not take hold of Louisiana for six months. So that means that it's really around 1802 that he is ready to come into Louisiana. But by that time, his plans have changed because things had changed, some unexpectedly. The first big unexpected change for him was that he lost control of Santo Domingo. Because what happened was very simply was that the people of Santo Domingo rose up in a major rebellion under the leadership of their national hero, Toussaint Le of Tours. And the people of Saint Domingue literally destroyed the French army that was there. They defeated them soundly and drove the French out of the island. I was speaking to someone, actually a former social studies teacher from St. Thomas More a couple of weeks ago, and she actually told me that she had an ancestor who lived in San Domingo. He was a banker, and he was sent there to work there for his company. He had a young family, and they had transferred all the way down there. When he was there, this rebellion broke out. And when he was working one day, the rebels broke into the bank and killed everyone there. And in that incident, he was murdered and he died. And her great, 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 maybe four times back, a great grandmother, I think it was really five, had to get out of the island. And that's how their family made it to New Orleans. So this was an extremely violent uprising, and the French were unprepared for it, and they really, really 
could not do anything with that island because the people were not going to let them back in. Saint-Domingue is now what we call Haiti, and it has been an independent country since then. So number one, he loses his, really what he considered, Napoleon rather, his main reason for being in North America. The second problem that he had was he knew he was going to war with Great Britain. It was a sure thing. And the last thing he wanted was more problems in terms of conflicts. But he also was going to need money to finance this war. Because remember, he was going to use the sugar that he was going to sell and make money from Saint-Domingue, which, of course, throughout the French army. So he had a major problem with that. But further problems occurred in this six months period. Even though the agreement was made for Spain to give Louisiana to uh, France, Spain still controlled Louisiana. And in that six month period, there was one problem after another. The first thing that happened was a problem with the right of deposit. And if you remember, the Americans had negotiated with Spain to get the right to sail down the Mississippi River and deposit their goods in warehouses at New Orleans so they could then ship them. Well, this had been great. It helped the American business in the West because they really needed to be able to ship out that way. And it had actually doubled the business in the port of New Orleans. As a matter of fact, when looking at numbers, the American ships and the American products in terms of numbers of ships and the numbers of amount of tonnage doubled anyone else who did any shipping outside of uh, New Orleans. So it was really an important linchpin to the port of New Orleans. Well, what happened is that the person who was left in charge of Spain during this time of transition, he rescinded the right of deposit because the United States, according to the Pickney Treaty, had to renew it every five years. And five years was up from the time of their uh, last renewal. And this guy just said, you can't have it anymore. This became a crisis for the people who lived in the West, the Americans, for the people who worked and on the port of New Orleans, they wanted the business, and in the United States. There were people in the U.S. Congress who were wanting to declare war on, war on Spain over this. And Thomas Jefferson had to tamp it down and say, let's try negotiation instead. The third big change was the British. When the British learned that Napoleon was going to be back on North America, well, they didn't want that either. Because remember, they own what is now Canada and they own still a strip of Florida. So they do not want Napoleon in Louisiana right between those two pieces of land that they own on North America. So now the British are starting to make noise that they're going to come onto North America and just take Louisiana from Napoleon. Needless to say, Louisiana is more than what Napoleon wants. It's just not worth it for him to keep it. So when the United States comes and offers to make a deal to try and buy just the Isle of Orleans. Remember, all Jefferson wanted to buy was the Isle of Orleans, that area around New Orleans going southward. 
where he would have control of the mouth of the Mississippi. That is what he asked to buy from France. It was all the United States could afford. So he sent to France the ambassador, Robert Livingston, with those instructions. And then later, James Madison went to help him finalize the deal. Well, can you imagine Livingston and Madison's response when here they are going, offering, what was it, $10 million to buy the Isle of Orleans, which was a lot more than it is today, $10 million. The response of the French was, oh, no, we don't want to sell just the Isle of Orleans. We want to sell it all. We'll give you the whole territory for $20 million. I would have loved to have seen their faces and to have heard their conversation when they were alone in the room. Well, they for two weeks, they haggled back and forth with the French. And Livingston kept sending messages to Jefferson. And he told Jefferson in one message, I'm going to try to get the price lower. We're going to try to get the price lower, but we might have to pay $20 million and get all of Louisiana. Well, again, after two weeks of haggling, the price was dropped to $15 million. That is maybe the best land deal ever because it comes out to four to six cents per acre. Now, why do I say four to six cents per acre? Well, you've got to realize the United States had to borrow the money. And when you look at the total cost of Louisiana, it includes the $15 million, the interest on the loans that they had to take out to borrow the money, and then the taxes. Yeah, they had to pay taxes on this. The taxes were, in fact, uh, pretty hefty. So the actual cost of Louisiana was closer to $27 million. That's why we say four to six cents per acre. In the meantime, back in Louisiana, while all this is going on, the French have sent Pierre Clement Lassat. And Pierre Clement Lassat is the individual that the French have sent to actually handle the transfer of Louisiana from, from Spain. He has no idea any of this is going on. As a matter of fact, he arrived in Louisiana a mere two weeks before Napoleon made his decision to actually sell Louisiana. So he gets there, he starts doing his job, and he really was setting things up for the takeover. And finally, and on November 30th, 1803, Spain officially transferred Louisiana to France. They had a big party. They had a big ceremony. People were out there and they were cheering. It was a cold, rainy November day. You know those days when it starts warmer and it rains and gets colder? That's the kind of day November 30th was, according to historical accounts. But the people were out there and they cheered. Well, Lassant had just found out that Louisiana was going to very quickly be given to the United States. But he acted like he didn't know anything. He continued doing all of the work that he had set out to do. And he really did a lot. He got rid of the Cabildo and established a French government. He actually worked to preserve the colonial archives, which is really great. Nobody had thought to do anything like that, to keep all of those 
historical records of what had gone on in Louisiana. He created a court system in New Orleans for the entire colony. And then he wrote a code of laws based upon the Napoleonic Code, the laws that Napoleon used in France. Some of these laws are still on the books in Louisiana. And because of the Napoleonic Codes, it actually makes the legal system in Louisiana more complicated than almost anywhere else in the United States. He had a mayor of New Orleans chosen, Etienne de Barre, the man who granulated sugar. And then in the new government, he gave positions to all sorts of people, and he very specifically gave positions to some of the descendants of those who had been the leaders of the Creole Rebellion. Remember, Lassat had come from the French Revolution, and he wanted those people to be represented, and he wanted the people of Louisiana to have a strong voice in an established government when the Americans came in. Believe it or not, Louisiana was transferred to the United States on December 20th, 1803, not even a month after the French had taken over. The person who came in was actually named W.C.C. Claiborne. He will be the first governor of Louisiana. And he takes over with another ceremony, another party, where people had over 20 types of gumbo served. And this party was a little more rowdy than the previous one. But he does take over. Were these people going to rebel? No, they weren't. You weren't going to see another Creole rebellion. First of all, the Spanish colonists, well, there were not a lot of them in the colony compared, in, well, now in the territory, compared to the French. The French, while they were happy that the French government was going to take over, they were unsure because it was not the same France that they had known before. But the United States, that was going to be a different ball game. It was going to take the French and the Spanish colonists of Louisiana, now Americans, years to appreciate what it meant to be a part of the United States. It would not really start until after the Battle of New Orleans in 1814-1815. That is when they would start to realize how good it was for them to be a part of the U.S. But one thing was sure, those Louisianians had no intention of giving up their language, of giving up their culture, of giving up their religion, of giving up their style. And because of that, we in Louisiana are one of the most unique states in the United States still today. In our next session, we're going to talk about W.C.C. Claiborne and what it was like for him in Louisiana.